0: Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is possibly his most important work, a collection of teachings that encapsulates so much of what he tried to impart to us. Interestingly, it focuses on one's inner life as much as our outward behavior. For Jesus, every explicit action finds its origin in an implicit thought. Good trees bear good fruit he says, and vice versa. The produce only reflects what's in the seed. But how often do we stop to really examine our unconscious thoughts or the inner workings of the mind? A good farmer keeps a close eye on the crop, from seed to sapling to what can be sold. Do we pay that much attention to ourselves? our own thoughts and feelings, do we really know what's growing inside of our hearts waiting to emerge into the world?
1: Today's scripture is from Matthew 7 verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns, or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen.
0: Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, Amen. Seth? Seth? What do you think? I snap out of my reverie, remembering that I'm sitting in a worship planning meeting. I'm distracted, clearly. You see, there's this enormous wooden table in our conference room, scarred and scratched and hewn from some massive heap of wood. I often joke that the church was built around this table because... It's simply too large to fit through any door. And sitting at it, I sometimes can't help but feel as if I'm attending an ancient war council, pondering the best strategy for uniting the clans against the brutal conquests of Genghis Khan and the Mongol Empire. I dramatically stroke my rough, imaginary beard, thinking hard about whether it's better to live under a tyrant or to die gloriously in battle. That's the kind of table we're talking about. Seth? Seth? What? What? What's that? I reply, unaware that I'm being asked whether the choir ought to sing from the chancel steps or from the choir loft on Sunday. Yeah, 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 sure, that's, uh, that sounds great. I clear my throat and try to focus on the task at hand, but it's difficult To concentrate. My mind has already begun another detour as the massive wooden table shrinks to the size of a small elementary school desk. I'm back in third grade math class, my mind wandering as the teacher calls me up to the chalkboard to solve some math problem that I haven't been paying attention to. Seth? Mr. Carey? Are you paying attention? My notebook is filled with drawings of strange creatures and little anthropomorphic numbers. They began as equations, but I started doodling eyes and appendages on them, and what was a simple matter of long division has become a desperate fight for survival. The Seven, brandishing a two-handed sword, battles the other numbers, his back to the edge of a cliff. It's not looking good for Seven, who's about to be divided in two. In the midst of this memory, I find myself pondering the respective merits of left and right brain thinking. Society tells us that math equations are more useful, more important, of more inherent value than the imaginative drawings of an eight-year-old kid with an overactive imagination. I mean, the phrase overactive imagination says it all, doesn't it? A lot of folks will tell you that it's math not imagination that builds rocket ships. But really, don't you need a little bit of both? And with that thought, the table disappears altogether and my head is no longer in the clouds, but someplace high above them. I wonder, should we even be building rocket ships at all? I mean, maybe we never should have gone to outer space. I know that's a controversial statement, Putting a man on the moon is one of humankind's greatest achievements. About 24 billion of our tax dollars are allocated to NASA every year, and our explorations of the cosmos have yielded a wealth of scientific discoveries. But here's the thing about outer space, I'm thinking. It is completely and utterly hostile to human life. Like a fish out of water, human beings can't survive in that endless void for long. It's cold enough to freeze you solid in 12 hours and hot enough to incinerate you if you're close to a star. That's a moot point, though, because you won't be able to breathe. Without an oxygen tank, you'll asphyxiate in 90 seconds. And this is all to say nothing of the constant barrage of constant cosmic radiation, the complete and utter silence, and the fact that it's just so big. You don't want to get lost out there. I wrote a song about it once when I was... In a band in college, it was called, I'm Going to Die in Outer Space. Dad? Dad? I snap out of it again, only to realize that the worship meeting ended hours ago. And while I'm sitting here thinking about the merits of space exploration, I've burnt the grilled cheese that I'm making the kids for dinner. I look down at the charred remains, patterns traced in the blackened contours, and I swear I could see a face in there. For the face of Jesus, I could probably sell it on eBay for a small fortune, but I think it's my own. The seared butter outlining my own features, the gooey cheese, a metaphor for my own melting brain. I hold the spatula in a white-knuckled grip, my only tether to the world outside my mind. I've always been a daydreamer, friends, for lack of a better word. I tend to rely on intuition and hunches, dreams and waking life. I think almost exclusively in metaphors, which don't necessarily preclude fact. If I told you that I have long conversations with my boots, you'd probably think I was crazy. But has it ever occurred to you that maybe your boots know something that you don't? I tend to get lost in my own thoughts, wandering that sprawling maze of tangents, that vast inland empire that borders the subconscious. I think about stories that I've read, always trying to find the reflection of my own life in there somewhere. I think about the larger world and its problems and its patterns traced in news articles and my own observations. I think about my kids and what kind of world they will inherit. I sometimes wonder if we do, in fact, live in a digital simulation and whether there's any tangible difference between that notion and the Neoplatonic Christian view which posits that the world of matter is not the real world at all. I think about the church, again, usually in metaphors, the last bastion of sanity in a world gone mad, or an ark to built, built to weather the storms on the horizon. On top of all of these things, I often ponder the possibilities of a multiverse, wondering, as some have claimed, if reality took a radical detour into a new timeline when that pigeon dropped a crust of baguette into the CERN Large Hadron Collider back in 2009. These are the things I think about. Welcome to my mind. The end result of all these musings, naturally, is that I tend to be a little bit of an absent-minded professor. I'm not proud of it, but I space out a lot. I once uh, went to the gas station to fill up a canister of gasoline for the lawnmower, only to find that I hadn't brought the can. Daily, I have to go back in the house because I've realized that I've forgotten my keys. I uh, recently bought a t-shirt for my wife. She's a Prince fan, so I bought her a Purple Rain t-shirt only to realize that I'd bought the same one for her just a month ago. So if anyone wants a Prince t-shirt, let me know. On two separate occasions, I climbed into the passenger seat of my own car and just sat there, wondering why no one was at the wheel. And if that's not a metaphor, then I don't know what is. If you're into Myers-Briggs personality tests, I'm an INFP, introverted, intuitive, feeling, and perceiving. I won't take the time to break all that down, but suffice it to say that I'm a sensitive guy with a big imagination and a lot of empathy who wants to understand and help other people. But I tend to live my life in stories. And when I'm anxious or overwhelmed, I can get lost in my own head. Given enough stress, I might even get lost in there on purpose, in an effort to escape from harsher realities. Having said all of that, the INFP is just one of 16 personality types on that particular spectrum. And I often wonder what other people think about all the time. What do you think about every day? And more importantly, does it align with the person that you are on the outside? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares some difficult teachings. He talks a lot about Jewish law, which was already kind of hard to follow in a lot of ways. And he makes it even harder. You've heard it said that you shall not murder, Jesus says. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, then you will be liable to judgment. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, Jesus goes on. But I say to you, love your enemies as well. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, Jesus continues. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus seems to be acting a little like the thought police here. It's no longer just about what we do or how we act, but even our own thoughts and feelings are liable to judgment, or so it would seem. Now, obviously, if that's the case, then we are all in really big trouble. But Jesus ends this sermon with an important clarification. Are grapes gathered from thorns, he asks rhetorically, or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, The bad tree bears bad fruit. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. At the end of the day, it's our external behavior, our fruits, that Jesus is concerned with. But he also knows that our actions flow from what is in our hearts. Our thoughts and feelings ultimately determine our behavior. Someone recently posed an ethical Quandary to me. She told me that she often feels angry with people, but that she's always really nice and polite with them because she's conflict averse by nature. So, is it better to show kindness even if I'm feeling angry? She asks me. Or is it better to be honest with people about my feelings? Well, at the time I told her that kindness is always good. I mean, I don't think it's helpful to lash out at everyone who gets under your skin. But having given it a little more thought, and having contemplated this teaching from Jesus for a while, I think I'd like to qualify that response a bit. Kindness is always good, but it's important that our external behavior mirrors our inner life. That's what it means to be genuine and authentic. Now, that being said, I don't think Jesus is telling us to unleash whatever anger or hostility that we have in our heart. No, I I think he's telling us to be honest with ourselves about that anger and to sit with it and to reconcile it and to reckon with it and to find a way to express it that doesn't perpetuate violence and hurt in the world. I think Jesus is calling us to turn inward, to... Descend into that inland empire and discover the root of the feeling and to really understand it. You don't want to get lost in there or spend too much time in your own thoughts, as I tend to do, but you have to spend some time with your feelings and your mind and your heart and understand what's really going on in there. What is creating this anger, this sorrow? this hurt. And only then, I think, can we be authentically honest and kind. Not in a dismissive, oh, bless your heart sort of way, but in a real spirit of love. Only then, when we heal what is within, can we bear good fruit. I read a story once about a house that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It was called House of Leaves, It's even more unsettling than it sounds. What begins as a wall being a little longer than it was yesterday, or a closet appearing where there was only a blank wall before, eventually becomes this sprawling labyrinth of dark, endless corridors inside this suburban home. Eventually, after numerous expeditions into their depths, one of the characters finds himself falling into a bottomless hole is only light a small book of dwindling matches that is about to run out. Regardless of your personality, your Myers-Briggs type, we all have unspeakable depths within us. And you don't want to fall in so deep that you can never come back out. But descend we must far enough to know what drives us to shine a light on it Reconcile it with the face that we show the world. And then we find our way back to this place, this world, this life, this table. A table where we can be our authentic selves. That's the kind of table we're talking about. A place where we can be the people that God made. and The people that God loves. Amen.